When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the Alex Candy Podcast, which is brought to you by basketballnews.com. The 2022 NBA draft is in the books, and I have a special guest to help me make sense of it all. He is one of the best NBA draft analysts in the business, does a fantastic job scouting all these players, interviewing them. He is Derek Murray. You can follow him on Twitter at DMurrayHoops. Derek, thanks for joining me. How are you? Man, I'm good. It was a great week in New York. You know, man, I had a really good time. Uh, he was in Barclays. I was doing some studio stuff. And um, yeah, some some teams did exactly what we expected. Others, not so much. So it's, it's fun to kind of sit back and, and have it be done now. I have to give you and Matt a ton of credit because your mock draft was so accurate. We'd had our 2022 NBA draft show. And you guys were on and we were reacting to every single pick and you guys were just nailing it. Obviously, number one was crazy. No one saw that coming. But I mean, throughout the whole first round, even some of the second round picks, you guys were just spot on. I, I know you guys called like, you know, Keegan Murray at number four, Jaden Ivey at five. Uh, I think at one point there, you guys had only missed like two and we were like almost through the lottery. So you guys crushed it. I was really impressed with how you guys did. No, we appreciate it very much. You know, we felt good. Our intel, especially at the top, other than number one, like most people was really, really good. Um, some of the guys that we anticipated to slip did, I think really getting, especially that, what, that four to 10, correct. And then even 11, 12, we had some of the right players. We felt pretty good, but as, as in most drafts, that second round, man, <laughs> that mid to late second just falls apart for everybody. So that's where we definitely didn't see that many international players coming off the board. Well, let's talk about the number one overall pick because everyone was surprised. Uh, it seemed like it was going to be Jabari Smith. I feel like every mock draft had Jabari. Other teams thought it was Jabari. And then last second, Orlando surprises everyone. And, and I do want to talk about that smokescreen because we talked about it during our draft show. To be able to do that in 2022 is really surprising where no one found out in the media. It didn't leak to other teams. And they were really committed to that. They didn't even work out Paolo or, or meet with him. So that really threw everyone off. But I know now fans in Orlando are wondering, what was the benefit of that? Like, was it trying to trick other teams and improve their trade leverage? Uh, because I know some fans in Orlando are wondering, you know, does it, who is the real loser here? Uh, or who, who really benefited from that if you ended up drafting a guy you didn't work out or meet with? What do you think of that smokescreen? And, and do you think it was the right move? In my opinion, what that told me was Paulo was the guy day one as soon as the lottery happened. Now, definitely, they definitely still had internal conversations, changes, debates, you know, they, they still did their work. But what it tells me is he was the guy immediately. If you project that it's one of the other two, and then you could still get Bancaro at two or three, but also pick up assets, 
it's worth trying to kind of smokescreen your way into looking like you're going to take somebody else. So yes, like quote, they didn't benefit looking back now from it, but they could have. So like the opportunity to benefit and gaining assets, if maybe Houston thought you were going to take Chet, so they went up there or maybe, okay, C thought you were going to take Chet or Jabbar. They were like, oh crap, we need number one. Right. And then you still get Paulo who you actually wanted. Like even though it didn't happen, you still have to try that. And honestly, I appreciate the attempt because it was in theory successful. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, you know, I know Magic fans, uh, they just hear didn't work out. You know, there was rumor that he canceled a workout, that they didn't meet with him. So I know some Magic fans were worried, you know, did they get, even get a look at this guy? Uh, does he want to be here? Orlando fans have a lot of PTSD with that, you know, with Shaq and Dwight and T-Mac. So their thought is like, oh God, does this guy not want to be here? But explaining it that way makes sense. Do you think they made the right move with Paolo, would you, I mean, I know we had talked about it before you guys had Jabari Smith at number one. And if you guys were making the decision, you would have taken Jabari. Uh, what do you think of Paolo and his fit there? You know, I still think gut check time. I would have taken Jabari at one. That being said, with the history of the Orlando front office, the way that they operate now, what they value, um, my understanding of how they how they value traditional scouting versus film scouting versus analytics versus, you know, all those other, all those other things. Um, Paolo does make a ton of sense. He and Wagner, they are different, but like they're really similar too. they're both six ten ball handlers, creators on the perimeter who can operate on the inside as well. And it's going to give them crazy versatility as far as like getting shots off and creating offense. So I think they're going to be a really, really good offensive team. Um, and yeah, like, no one truly 100% confidently knows what GMs are thinking. Anybody who says they do, like they're lying and they're projecting. <laughs> that being said, like it, they clearly got their guy. So there's no other way for us to call this like anything else except a win for them. Steph Curry's record-breaking three-pointer, Jason Tatum's buzzer-beating alley-oop, John Morant's poster dunk, NBA Top Shot is where the greatest moments from NBA history are turned into officially licensed digital collectibles. NBA Top Shot has evolved trading cards and made it easier to buy, sell, and collect by removing the hassle of grading, shoeboxes, and shipping fees. You can buy or sell moments in a few clicks and access them at any time on your phone or computer. Your collection is always at your fingertips. Start collecting Top Shot moments in any way you want. Collect rookie moments from future stars like Evan Mobley and Cade Cunningham. Collect throwback moments from former NBA stars like Shaq and Allen Iverson. Or collect moments from your favorite team to gain access to exclusive perks. Grab your starter pack today and Top Shot will give you $20 back to start your collection and pick up some of your favorite moments in the marketplace. Go to about.nbatopshot.com slash bballnews and get in the game today. That's about.nbatopshot.com slash bballnews. So looking at Chet, you know, number two to OKC, Jabari, number three to Houston. What are your thoughts on, on those picks and how they fit with those respective teams? Yeah, Chet makes a ton of sense here in OKC. Um, unicorn length, versatility. They also needed defense and shooting. He kind of checked every box. So he, Pokushevsky, they're going to be so much fun together. It's going to be such weird basketball. You're going to have some huge lineups potentially the next couple of years with Shea, Giddy, Chet, Poku. JRE, Jalen Williams, Usman Jang, like you're every one of them is huge. And the Jalen Williams, Santa Clara is huge too. Like mm -hmm. they're just all big. For Houston to come away with Jabari at number three, um, Ty Ty at what, 29, and Tari Eason at 17, like that is just a massive W. Like props to Houston. I think they made a lot of the right calls. Um, 
And then, yeah, him at three, like, I just think that's tremendous value. So the, the Houston comes away for me, a big winner here. Yeah. They were one of the teams that I kind of highlighted about, you know, when we're talking about draft winners and I want to ask you, uh, who are your biggest winners of this draft? Again, Houston has to be mentioned just because we had talked about it before. If you had told them, you know, the, this is what they would come away with uh, in the first round a week before the draft, they would be stunned. And I'm sure very excited. Um, so, yeah, they're definitely one of the ones for me. Which other teams are the biggest winners in your mind? Yeah, four teams come to mind, you know, in no order. Houston Rockets. I think that San Antonio Spurs had a great draft to get. Jeremy Sohan, Malachi Branham, and Blake Wesley, they're in the first round together. Like, that's some serious offense. Great kids, great teammates. They're all competitive. Like, they're all really smooth, um, and they know what they're good at. It's like their skill sets are going to play well nicely together, as well as what the young guys they already have. I think Detroit got a top two player in this draft at number five, and then they added Jalen Duran. Like, both of those guys fit that city really, really well physical, competitive, chippy, tough. Like you add them to Isaiah Stewart, Kate Cunningham. My goodness. Like that is going to be, if that clicks in a couple of years, like you're going to see them on a schedule. Just be like, this sucks. Like <laughs> I don't want to have to go play this group. And then kind of an under the radar one. I think New Orleans came away with a great draft to get uh, Dyson Daniels there. At, I believe it was number eight was a win for them. Big, big guard who's still growing and improving. And then a guy that I know they really liked and had a high first round grade on and EJ Liddell to get him at, I believe it was 41. If I remember it's crazy um, like that again, just like, look, they're going to leave like guys, we got two top 25 players tonight yeah. <laughs> and we didn't have to move one pick. So I think internally they are, they are very, very happy with what they got. And then we tend to talk about which teams are the biggest winners, but which prospects were the biggest winners in your opinion, guys that maybe landed in the perfect situation, went higher than expected. Who were the biggest prospect winners? Yeah, my three prospect winners for three, honestly, entirely different reasons, which is interesting. Usman Jiang of OKC. He's a winner because one, they picked him in the lottery, which I had pushed for him to a lot of our clients and people as a lottery guy all year, even when he was struggling in November and December. So I am a little bit vindicated that he ended up a lottery pick and I feel good. But what he should feel good about is that they gave up three first-round picks to get him. So they are invested, whether they like it or not, in his development and his success. So he's in a spot to where it's not like, oh, we use pick 27 on you, like, hope it works, we'll give it a shot. This is, uh, we cannot afford for Jang to not work and come through here and to be a star because we just gave up three firsts. So personally, he knows he's invested in. David Roddy going to Memphis, Look, David's a great guy, um, and I think Memphis is going to use him really, really well. They, they know what he is good at. He's going to fit their offense on the perimeter. I think they're going to let him work as a creator and shooter, which is awesome. At you know, what is it, 6'5", 250, or whatever he is, just a tremendous physical presence who moves really well. So I think he's built for that offense, and it's a win for me, and or it's a win in my mind for him because he'll be used to the best of his ability. And then I have Peyton Watson here. Um, I actually said Golden State earlier. He's going to Denver. But I think it's a win for Watson because the man averaged three points a year or three points a game last year and was a first round pick. And a lot of people said he was nuts coming out. We had heard potential promise at the end of the first. We were trying to figure out who it was. I thought he was going to be an early second guy. But for him to go to UCLA, five star prospect, do 
close to virtually nothing, you know, in a big collective scheme of things in the whole season. And then to be a first round pick, like that's a huge win for, for Watson. hundred percent. Um, which teams are the biggest losers? You know, maybe you disagree with their pick or, uh, just kind of how they handle the whole draft, which teams come away. I mean, obviously we have to throw this caveat in it's two days after the draft. It's very possible that, you know, we're wrong about this, but just when you look at your projections, the way too early, uh, prediction here, who is the biggest loser in your mind? I'm not, I don't want to use the word loser. It's like, I under, I understand it. That's fair. But it's also like kind of mean <laughs> Walker Kessler at 22 felt super high. That was the first one off the board where I thought, Hmm, okay. Like I don't totally understand Kessler at, at 22, a traditional center with some talent on the board. I mean, you had Bochamp, you know, Wesley, Ty Ty Watson, you know, there's a lot of these guys on the board. That one just didn't make a lot of sense to me, honestly. Um, Golden State with Baldwin, I thought that was just on the top of his high side as far as a draft range. I thought maybe Caleb Houston made sense. I thought Max Christie. Um, I thought Jaden Hardy, Kennedy Chandler, Bryce McGowan's probably would have taken a handful of those guys before. And then, again, it's tough to say loser because they got a bunch of assets based on their moves. It was strange to me that the Knicks didn't pick anybody at 11 um, to not get pick number 12 in the Thunder trade. Again, it was strange to me. But again, they, they picked up three future firsts. They picked Trevor Keels at 42, which a lot of people are shocked he fell that far. We're not really. I think he probably should have stayed at Duke another year. So to get a guy who is going to need work, but there is like a lot of talent, I think the Knicks are going to be okay at 42. But I think it would have been beneficial for them uh, to pick somebody, although I do understand the whole cap space moves, looking at potentially bringing in Brunson and and all that stuff. It's just tough to pass up on talent when you have it in your hand. Yeah, for the opportunity to get someone else, where they have to choose you. Like if they knew that Brunson was, this is a lock. If we trade eleven, we are get getting him. Brunson. Period. Yeah. Then I totally get it. But to make that move with the hopes of doing something, that's where my risk averseness may have disagreed with that. Yeah. And that's one of those where, you know, we might not know whether it was a win or a loss uh, until down the road when we see, okay, what do those picks turn into? Did they get Brunson or another top free agent or, you know, player they're targeting? Uh, so that's another one that maybe we can reevaluate down the road. But I, I see what you're saying. One that I know a lot of people are talking about is Sacramento passing on Jaden Ivey at number four for Keegan Murray. And there was like a, a graphic I saw ESPN put up during the draft or right before the draft. And it was going viral on social media that the, the Kings were one pick away from getting Luka Doncic, Damian Lillard, and Clay Thompson. You know, Marvin Bagley, the third goes before Doncic, Thomas Robinson before Dame Lillard, and then Jimmer for Fredette before Clay Thompson. Uh, so honestly, you know, I feel kind of bad kicking the Kings while they're while they're down. Uh, and I know a lot of Kings fans are frustrated with kind of the conversation around them. But do you think a few years from now this could be another situation where we're looking back and saying, can you believe they passed on Jaden Ivey? It pains me because of my friends in that front office, but I, I do struggle. Like how I'm not sure how you don't pick Jaden Ivey. And I know that Keegan fits what they're trying to do positionally, um, philosophically. He fills a need. I get it. And Keegan's going to be great. What's interesting is I was told that based on some promises, based on some decision makers thoughts, they could have probably gotten Keegan at six or seven. So I think that, if they had an opportunity 
even if it was a small opportunity to add an asset and then move back to six or seven, because I believe one of those teams would have moved up to four for Ivy, that it could have made sense. You know, you come away with even Keegan in a protected first down the road or Keegan in four seconds. Like what was it? The Bucks deal a couple of years ago where they gave a yeah. four second, I believe like Miritich or something. Like, I don't know, just Keegan in something. I could probably sleep a little better not taking Ivy, but just straight up picking him. I, I just think Ivy's going to be a star, man. That just worries. That just worries me. Especially with all the rumors that were circulating, like I mean, they were linked to so many different teams, and it, it felt like everyone was calling up trying to get number four, and then to not take Ivy, and to your point, just take Murray without moving down at all or, or gaining any kind of asset. It is kind of harder to to stomach that, but we'll see. I mean, maybe it's the right move in the long run. It's again, we're we're trying to judge it two days after, so we'll see if that ends up working out. Um, which prospects were again? I hate the term biggest losers, but. Which prospects maybe didn't land in the best situation or went lower than expected? You know, who were the guys that maybe they didn't have the best night? I really started to feel for Jaden Hardy as soon as that first round ended. You know, being in the green room, he is so talented. Um, I think if it clicks for him, I mean, he has a potential to be one of like the most prolific scorers in the league. Like he did shot making, his shot creation, absolutely fearless. He was inefficient at times, but again, he's playing G League Ignite. He's playing against grown men and professionals. And I just feel like a lot of evaluators were really, really hard on him. So it broke my heart to see him fall that far. It's just, there's always one. There's always one who's in that green room for way too long. Um, and it's, it just becomes emotional. I thought Kennedy Chandler falling to 38, huge win for Memphis. Um, felt bad for Kennedy and his people as well. I thought that. I thought there was a chance he snuck into the back end of the first. I thought early second for sure. But to see him fall, almost push into 40 um, was really interesting to me. And then Kendall Brown going to Indiana at 48 was a guy that I didn't expect to get past maybe like 35 uh, based on what we were hearing from some people. Just to see him go all the way to 48, like that's highway robbery because he's going to be good. So like good for the Pacers. I was disappointed for, for Kendall. You mentioned Jaden Hardy, another situation where, you know, Sacramento selected him, but then traded him to Dallas for two future second round picks. So, you know, we'll see what happens. But again, that's another where people could look at this draft and say, you basically missed on both Jadens. You had a chance to get them and, and you moved on from them. So we'll see what happens there. Um, I, I am curious. We mentioned Memphis. I think they had a really good draft. Uh, we didn't have them in the winners here, but um, I, I love all their picks. There was some you know, people that disagree with them trading D'Anthony Melton, but he has struggled in the postseason a few years in a row. And uh, I think the, the guys that actually landed uh, in the draft are guys that fit what they're doing perfectly. Great complimentary pieces. What do you think about Memphis's draft night? Yeah, going LaRavia Roddy there at the at the middle of first honestly didn't shock me at all. I knew that they were in love with both of those guys. Um, there was a lot of hot conversation about LaRavia being the Spurs pick at number 20. So they had to go up and get their guy. And, you know, there are people who say, wow, giving up two firsts for Laravia. I understand that, you know, side of it, but that's who they wanted. And props to that front office for saying, that's who we want. This is the cost. Are we okay to spend it to go get him? And they did. So Laravia is going to be a really, really good role player in the NBA. Um, I already spoke on Roddy a little bit. And then yeah. Kennedy Chandler, like three guys that I think it's pretty easy to figure out how you use them. It's okay. This is what they look like. And then 47, they got Vince Williams, who again has a chance to be a high end role player as well. Really versatile um, with really good size and length, can handle the ball, can shoot. 
um, checks a lot of boxes for them. Again, from an analytical versatility approach, which is how that front office operates, it makes a lot of sense. So got to give them a ton of credit. They got four guys that they really, really liked. They know how to use, and they're going to put them in a great situation to win. So I think it was a great draft for them. This podcast is brought to you by Branded Bills, the best place online for premium headwear and apparel. Branded Bills has hundreds of designs available, including their popular state collection, where you can show your pride with hats, shirts, hoodies, and more for all 50 states. Are you a company looking to brand your business? Branded Bills also offers custom apparel options that can meet your brand standards with fast turnaround and shipping. To shop or learn more, visit brandedbills.com today. That's brandedbills.com. I saw that this draft had, I believe it was a record number of one-and-done players, 21. Uh, even though there's only 58 players in the draft, it was still a record for most one-and-done players. So a lot of guys that you know have high upside, a lot of potential. But when you look at this class, who are the biggest guys that uh, could make an impact year one? The guys that we're talking about you know, next offseason as being the guys that hit the ground running and, and are effective from day one. Yeah, uh, I think... I'm not going to speak, I guess, the top five picks just because yeah, that's <laughs> that, would be, that, that would be easy. Um, I think that Johnny Davis will probably get minutes pretty early in his career. Um, I really want to see, there's two that pop out, Mark Williams at Charlotte. I hope he gets burned right away. And it's interesting because they took two like 6'10 guys last year with JT Thor and Kai Jones. Yeah. So they are, they're looking for length, mobility, like they've got some weird, but also really awesome lineup possibilities. <laughs> so I think Mark Williams can come in and kind of anchor that defense a little bit and provide some impact there on the inside early. And then the one that I'm really excited to see is if Dalen Terry gets any burn in Chicago. You know, with with Levine, Caruso, you've got like some ball handlers up there to where I don't necessarily, I don't know, like maybe he doesn't really get a great opportunity early, but I think if he is given a shot, that he can provide some impact because he's going to bring energy, competitiveness, um, and a fire to that team, which like they're already built like that. So I think it's great. And then the last one, I think he can bring impact pretty early is Marjan Beauchamp. He's been through a lot, mature kid. Um, if you watch the draft, like you saw how emotional he was, he is so happy and excited to be there that he is going to make the most of every single opportunity. And that team needed a little bit of athletics, uh, athletic upside as well. So I think he's going to fit great next to Giannis. And I'm, I hope to see Bochamp minutes pretty early. One thing that we were talking about during our draft show, reacting to just in real time, was the lack of trades. There had been a lot of trade rumors during the day, as there always are. Um, but you know, in the hours leading up to the draft and then during the draft, we didn't see many trades involving uh, veteran players. And there really weren't many trades involving picks. You know, We started to see more at the end of the lottery and the end of the first round. But it was kind of quiet on the trade front for most of the day, even though there have been rumors about John Collins, DeJounte Murray, Malcolm Brogdon, Miles Turner, D'Angelo Russell. Like there have been a lot of players mentioned in rumors, but very few trades. Uh, thoughts on that? And do you think it could lead to more trades now in the next week once free agency kicks off? Or is it just going to be a quieter offseason on the trade front? Yeah. So there were eight of the 30 first round picks were moved. Um, most of, the, most of them were past 19. So 19, 22, 23, 26, 29, and 30 were all moved. So it did pick I think up, yeah. It, it picked up, but yeah, that top 10, nothing. And I think that was because, because no one went up to get Ivy. 
there was never that domino effect. Um, there were also, it's like the one name to watch based on teams a lot that I was communicating with a lot. It was where's Johnny Davis going. Mm. And when he didn't go at six, seven, eight, everybody just kind of thought, okay, like we're good. We know how the next, you know, seven or eight are going to, how they're going to roll out, how they're going to be picked. Davis not was a wild card in the sense of like, Ooh, where's he going? Because there's so many people tied to him, but it's okay. If he goes seven, that means X is going to pick this kid. X is going to pick this kid. I got to move. If he goes eight, well, now I know this team's going to jump me. So I got to move. Um, so as soon as he went 10, it told me like, okay, that we're nothing's going to happen here. When he didn't go six, seven or eight, I was like, oh, we're smooth sailing. We know exactly what the next seven or eight are going to look like. like. No one's moving here. Yeah. And your guys' mock draft reflected that too. I mean, you guys were, were nailing those picks. So um, now that the draft is in the books and we know kind of where these guys went, when you talk about the best young cores in the NBA, you know, I think Detroit stands out. I think Orlando has something special. Uh, obviously, they surprised everyone at the top, but just looking at what they already had in place now adding Paolo to that, that's very interesting. Um, Houston uh, is very intriguing given their current pieces. Who are some of the young cores that stand out to you uh, when you're talking about the best young cores in the NBA? And you can name some of the ones I just mentioned, but um, which teams do you think have the best young cores? Yeah, I really like Houston's now from a talent perspective. I mean, Green, Christopher, Garuba, Shengun, Jabari, Eason, and Tai Tai. That's crazy. So My goodness. Guys. Like, you're stacked across the board. So I think that they're really good. Look, it may sound like a Homer thing. I live here in Oklahoma City. You've got a bunch of huge, huge, long-armed ball handlers on this team. Like, if a couple of them click and it really works out, they're going to be really, really good. And they address a lot of needs uh, in this draft, which was good. I think that the Pacers are actually in kind of a nice spot right now. I like their guards. Um, I like some of their some of their ball handlers, some of their shooters. I think Matherin's going to fit really, really nicely. Uh, let's see, Orlando. Yeah, with with Bancaro and Wagner, I think you know building around them should be. I don't want to say easy, but I really like it. And then the Spurs. Like the Spurs, I still think they're in need of a center of the future. I don't know what they're going to do with Pirtle. But again, these wings, ball handlers, and scorers that they have now, I really, really like. So again, it helps when you have three first-round picks to add to your young core. But those are the ones that are just kind of looking at the board right now. Those stand out to me. Yeah, you mentioned OKC. It's going to be interesting to see just going forward. Like They finally started to flip some of those future picks in order to go get their guy. Uh, but they still have so many draft picks going forward. So I'm excited to see what the team looks like years from now. And yeah, they could be exciting as soon as this year. Uh, I'm excited to see Detroit with uh, Cunningham and, and Ivy. That's going to be. Um, there's just so many fun teams that we're going to be able to watch this upcoming season. So that's going to be great. Uh, it's never too early to start talking about next year's draft. Uh, I know you just finished all your work for 2022, but I'm curious when you look ahead at 2023, you know, how does that class look as far as the talent and what's the top five as of right now? Uh, I know it's very, very early and it can change, but you know, who are some of the guys at the top of next year's draft that you're paying attention to? Yeah, I think there's a top two that you never want to say is concrete, but it feels very concrete right now. Victor Wembanyama, you know, from France coming over, probably going to be the number one pick. Was it seven three, seven four? Stupid long, seven plus wingspan. Can shoot on the move. Can't score on him. Super, like, really moves well. One of the best players we've ever seen in the Cheat world. Code. 
yeah, he's stupid. So he's probably going to go one. Feel pretty comfortable saying that Scoot Henderson is probably the guy at number two right now if you're trying to project out this far. 17 years old, playing G League Ignite, an average 15, 5, and 5 in 31 minutes a game. <laughs> Crazy. Um, got to see him work out uh, in, in a workout in Vegas last year. Huge hands, great frame. Like, honestly, yeah, he's like 6'3", but almost plays like Kawhi sometimes in a way where he's explosive but under control like complete control with the ball in his hands at all time usually makes the right decisions. I think he can be an engine can run your offense. You can't run with him explosive. Like he's just awesome. And then the other couple of guys to watch Dariq Whitehead from Duke. I think Nick Smith from Arkansas, uh, Dylan Mitchell from Texas. And then the ones that really have me excited that are, I would probably put in the top five right now are the Thompson twins for overtime elite. Asar and Amin Thompson, it's, you know, six, seven guard wing kind of hybrid, however you want to look at that and just are explosive athletic. They're great defenders. They can score. Uh, they're going to be real problems. You know, when I was able to go down to OTE in Atlanta, they, they are seriously something special. And <laughs> there's a chance that they could be twins who go back to back at like four or five, five, six, six, seven an NBA draft, which would be pretty wild. Wow. Well, Derek, I appreciate your time, man. As always, you do a fantastic job covering the NBA draft. Everyone, make sure you're following Derek at D Murray Hoops. He crushes it every year. You know, is again not only scouting these guys and watching tons of video, but traveling across the country, seeing them in person, which is so important. You know, talking to these people, getting to know them. He, you know, it's tons of people around the NBA too. So Derek does a fantastic job. Make sure you're following him. And yeah, Derek, thanks for your time, man. Yeah, no, I appreciate you having me as always. Looking forward to doing it again. For sure. And if you guys want to hear more episodes of this podcast, check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen. And until next time, thanks for tuning in.